and currently remain in police custody. The police are keen to speak to anyone who was in the area around the time of the incident or anyone who has witnessed anything suspicious in the area at the time or anyone who has information that will help the investigation and they are asked to contact the police on 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 treble 5 treble 1. There are some early signs of improvement in Welsh education this year according to the Chief Inspector of Education and Training in his annual report. With two schools in the county, Ascola Preseli and Redhill Preparatory School, identified for approaching curriculum change in a positive and enthusiastic way, offering enriching classroom experiences to challenge pupils and develop their skills. As teachers, the staff recognise that planning exciting opportunities, especially in real-life context, is the key to engaging pupils and helping them to become lifelong learners. At the other end of the spectrum for Pembrokeshire schools is the worry and identification that four of the schools require significant improvement. These include secondary schools at Greenhill in Tenby and Milford Haven, alongside primary schools at Coastland and Saundersfoot, the latter's previous head teacher, Helen Lester, having been found guilty by the Education Workforce Council of doctoring the school's test results to make the school look good before her retirement. Miss Lester acted with unacceptable professional misconduct and current head teacher Nick Allen, in post since September 2015, following Miss Lester's retirement, was told by the County Council Education Department there was no need for an investigation as little would be gained. Miss Lester worked in an advisory capacity for the Council Education Department following her retirement and was suspended by the EWC for three years for her unacceptable professional conduct. According to latest statistics from Keep Wales Tidy, just 3.3% of our streets are litter-free and most local authorities now use fixed penalty notices if people drop litter, cigarette ends or fly tip, where the notice must state the offence committed and should be issued on the spot. This is issued under the Environmental Protection Act 1990 and the Clean Neighbourhoods and Environment Act of 2005. If a person refuses to pay, they could be prosecuted and summons to the Magistrates' Court. However, wardens are told not to issue notices for accidental littering, for example when an item falls out of someone's pocket. They are also told to give people a chance to pick up their litter before issuing a fine, and only dish it out when they refuse. Magistrates' Courts can fine people up to £2,500 for litter offences, with fixed penalty notices ranging from £75 to £150 and under current law there is no formal way of appealing it with the local authority. Having launched on September the 7th in this county, figures have emerged that our county council issued 85 fixed penalty notices, a total of £12,750 in fines if they hadn't been paid within 10 days, due to the 48-hour campaign on littering. In local sport, Pembroke County Hockey Club suffered a 6-2 reverse on their travels to Swansea last Saturday, in the Day Cymru League Division 1. Goals from Troy Purslow in the first half and Martin Passmore early in the second half saw the local side just 3-2 down before their hosts added three late goals, the side now welcoming promotion-chasing Cardiff University C to Haverford West this Saturday. Two Elliot Scotcher goals saw Haverford West County draw 2-2 with promotion rivals Cambrian and Clidder last Saturday, leaving them two points adrift as leaders Pennebont 
whom they host on February the 2nd at the Bridge Meadow, a week before Welsh Premier side Ballatown travelled down on an FAW Welsh Cup tie for a place in the quarter-finals. In local football, a brace apiece from James Russell and Nico Morrison saw Moncton Swifts maintain the position at the top of the Pembrokeshire League Division 1 with a 6-3 victory over bottom side Herb Branston, who remained pointless after 11 games. Nathan Green scored a stunning header late in the game to secure a 2-2 draw for Merlin's Bridge Ucaro, both remaining in the hunt for the title alongside Goodick United, who defeated Penna Robbins 4-0 at Phoenix Park. Haken United won the Milford Derby 2-0 at Marble Hall against Milford United, and Claverson Road striker Jason Griffiths netted twice in their 5-3 victory over Nayland. I'm Jonathan Twigg, and you're up to date with all your latest Pembrokeshire news on Pure West Radio. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, Pure West Radio. You're on now. I know. Yeah. Apparently we were off air for a couple of minutes around 9.30. Apparently so. I know why as well. We figured out why. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Why. Toby, <laughs> stop playing with the team viewer. Yes. Anyway, our guest. I, I don't want to. I don't want to chat to you because like, I want. I don't want to miss any more of our. No, I know. I'm it's just fascinating. Like, what's nice? I'm sitting here like a schoolgirl in class listening to the teacher. It's amazing. <laughs> I even cancelled the Teller of Curious Tales because it's so good. Oh, now you're pushing it. Mm. Oh, there we are. Mm. Our guest tonight is Simon, Simon Hancock. Hancock, my uh, teacher tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind. <laughs> and I'm, I don't care. Dr. Simon Hancock. Dr. Simon Hancock. A well-deserved yes. PhD. Yes. Um, who's regaling us mm. and, f- and correcting some of the, the preconceptions you, you yeah. that I've had about Pembrokeshire since I moved down here, mm. that it's not an alien spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a giant's bird's nest. Although some of the locals do refer to it as a giant's bird's nest. Presumably, because if you look at the picture, like on the West Files page today on our Facebook page, yeah, it does. Look it like does. It, it's yeah. so overgrown now. Um, yeah. And you're saying that it's it's now become an area of natural beauty and uh, yeah. There's all sorts of um, legal protection for the fauna, flora, birds, and so forth that are in there, and bat species and things. So it's uh, very, very well protected now legally. The habitats and of of all those. Um, have there any, ever been any plans post its military uh, role to develop it as something for the you know within the community? Yes, there has been something, but nothing more, nothing sort of concrete, and nothing further than just abstract ideas. A bit I like guess. Sainsbury's, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Scoverson's always been part of the community, well, the, the local community of Flanstadwell and, and also mm-hmm. Waterston, because I mentioned that the, the fort was the last regiment ever occupying it was the King's Own Yorkshire Infantry. Um, and actually, I got a snapshot into that regiment because many years ago, the, when the fort was sold... And of course, all the all the sort of uh, the huts were sold as well. One of the huts became the church for the village of Waterston, which is just down the road. And uh, when Waterston Church closed about eighteen years ago, nineteen years ago, the vicar of the time, mm-hmm. the Reverend Lightman, was saying, "Is there anything in here that you could use?" And I opened this old drawer, and inside were uh, huge reams of forms. 
doesn't sound terribly exciting. They were the army school forms from 1918, 1919. And all of these boy soldiers from Yorkshire, all parts of Yorkshire, had been at Scoverson Fort in 1918, 1919. And basically, it was the education department of the army. So they were like doing sort of their school tests. Mm -hmm. And so I've got the name, I've got the, the location, the dates of birth, their army serial numbers of dozens and dozens and dozens of Yorkshiremen who happened to find themselves in remote West Wales in 1918-19. And I think if I, if I hadn't stepped in and got those, and oh, I've got them, gone. they yeah. would have all been thrown out as just so much waste paper. Mm. And I often think, what became of all those all those men? They were like, you got their ages and their dates of birth. 17, say, 18, yeah. 19, you know, the young young lads, what became of them? Have you ever followed, I was just going to say, have you ever followed up on any of the names or... You know, if you've got the names and you've got the locations, is there any way you could actually follow up on it? And do you know that's something I will, I have always pledged that I will do one day because, of course, with the the advent of the internet and the immense variety of resource that's online, mm. like Ancestry and Find mm. My Past. I mean, almost there are so many millions of documents being uploaded all the time. It might possibly be a quite a straightforward thing, especially some of the unusual names, because yeah. I've got all of the biographies yeah but that was one thing from Scoverson that went to Waterston was that's where the village church mm. came from after the military disappear in 1920 I mean that must have had a tremendous effect it must have been like the closing of the dockyards mm. that you said Not before because yeah. you can't lose 10,000 people and not notice yeah because they must have had a huge input into our local economy yeah, um, many years ago, um, I was talking to a chap who's a really good friend of mine called Noel Rees, and he was from Hazel Beach. His father, A.E. Rees, was a, a grocer and a baker in Ireland. And Noel, oh gosh, Noel was probably 90 when he died. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember talking to him, and he remembered, well, he remembered going to Scoverson Fort with his father, who was delivering bread and uh, being a young lad being chased around the tents by one of the sergeants you know play 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 chasing but his father had a huge contract for the delivery of like groceries and bread so you imagine the the sort of money that with the the mm. presence of the soldiers there was each soldier had a billeting allowance and what we find in the first world war is all of the local councils, Nayland Urban District Council, Tenby Town Council, Tenby Borough Council, they all want soldiers in their midst. They want soldiers to stay, perhaps for patriotic reasons, but for even more compelling reasons. And that is each soldier had on his head 12 shillings and sixpence a week billeting allowance. Mm. So, for example, in 1915-16, in the winter, the soldiers... Uh, the officers, of course, were in, were accommodated at the Imperial Hotel in Denby. That was just the officers, and all thousand soldiers that must have been helpful. Were, oh, oh yeah, terrible. terrible. Someone had to do it. Someone had to do it. And then a thousand soldiers. Take one for the team. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand soldiers are spread around all the guest houses and little B and Bs and accommodated all around Tenby, and that would be like one third of the population of Tenby. The win the, so much money was spent by the soldiers in 1915-16. It was said it was the most pr prosperous winter, because out of season, no tourists, yeah. that Tenby had ever had. And so it's similar for all the other communities in Pembrokeshire. They would have benefited from that enormous spend. Yeah. The soldiers are spending money on this, that and the other. When that's gone in 1920... That's a huge loss to the economy. Yeah, mm. Massive it loss. Must, it must absolutely be. Out. I mean, the dockyard is still operating. Just. Um, but... 
that's a lot of money to lose. Yeah. I mean, it would be the equivalent of the refineries just shutting down, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And possibly even in, in, in the sort of, in its own way, perhaps even more profound than if we lost, God forbid, and we won't, Valero or one of the any of the other yeah, meant, major yeah. industries yeah. were to go. I mean, it was an economic blizzard. So you know, Pembrokeshire in the twenties was and and thirties was a very with an, an immense amount of poverty, immense amount of poverty. So Scoverson is is empty. It's sold in nineteen thirty two, but then of course in nineteen thirty nine a second world war breaks out. I was gonna yeah. I mean, we've, we've um, had the fallow have, years. It didn't yeah. have the didn't have the massive military presence that it did in the first with this as a, as a training camp. But what we do find in Scoverson in is a, a searchlight battery. Because of course the Luftwaffe are bombing Pembroke Dock. I can think of no better place to put an anti-aircraft battery that can control anti-aircraft battery, and also um, also sort of um, uh, you've got searchlight batteries as well. And they did use it for um, talking to some older people who remembered the Second World War really, really well. They had a rifle range where soldiers would be using, Mm. uh, you know, safe practice of. A rifle fire and learn how to good uh, good shooting skills mm-hmm. so we did have um i think there was a generator up there as well so they did have some sort of mil- reduced military presence in the second world war because of course people were the germans were bombing Pembroke dock from july 1940 with that terrible attack on the on the tanks in august 1940 and then of course perhaps the most traumatic experience of the lot was the spring blitz of May 1941, because Hitler, of course, was about to attack the Soviet Union on the 22nd of June 1941. And to cover his tracks, he launched a massive attack on Britain in May 1941, Cardiff, Swansea. It was awful, terrible. May, the May Blitz, Spring Blitz 1941, just before he turned east. Pembroke Dock was badly bombed. I think it was about 30 to 40 deaths. Bombs fell in Hazel Beach, not a million miles from uh, Scoverson, and four people were killed when a civilian, when a house was hit, mm. direct hit, and four women were killed. So, Scoverson saw a bit of military action in the Second World War, and actually, talking to some people, there was an enormous amount of fear from the German bombing raids of 1940, 41, and so many civilians in Nayland found themselves fleeing up the military road. And they were taking shelter in the immense basements of the Victorian fort. You know how how deep it is, Scoverston. Is um, it just sitting on the landscape, or is it sits in the landscape? But or does the, it actually? Well, go, the, I yeah. think I remember reading that the dry moat around it. You know, there was a dry moat with only one point of access, so attackers would be very hard pressed to get inside. I think the dry moat was about thirty feet. Really? Which is, you know, so they're under a substantial amount of protection. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the casements, and you, you've got mm-hmm. sort of buried underground. So it would have been an immensely powerful fortress. Yeah, because, but I mean, it was designed to be attacked from the sides, wasn't it? So it, its main defence was against guns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so somebody flying over the top of it. But you I'm think uh, the, the, the how much protection? But that have. that's the, the architecture would provide. Um, good shelter for civilian population in bombing which is exactly what happened mm. many people were living up there people were living in the fort people born in the fort people died in the fort and of course after the second world war we had a massive national housing shortage 
nothing new. You know, you think how many houses were bombed and destroyed mm. and damaged. So there were families living in the fort. Mm. Families were living in Scoverson Fort until the Haverford, I think it was the Haverford West Rural District Council, were building houses, huge house building programme in Pembrokeshire, and they built Alban Crescent in in uh, in uh, Waterston Village, which is just just down the way, and that was built in the 1940s, Alban Crescent. And so families were living within the fort. You know, this was their home until the, the, the Rural District Council was actually building um, council houses. So just, just to focus on the, f- the five years of World War II, um, did it... What we, So its primary role was just the searchlights... Searchlights. ...and the gun battery... Because it has such a commanding position that they've not used it for anything else. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I mean, we're not look, short in World War Two military stuff in Pembrokeshire, are we? We've got no, the army I mean, yeah, and the. Yeah. When you think about it, Pembrokeshire is one of the most <clears throat> fortified places in history. You think you go back to the sort of Iron Age, Bronze Age mm. encampments, right through to well, in fact, right through to the First and Second World Wars, and indeed, there's quite a bit of military um, uh, fortifications from the Cold War. Well, I, yeah, I mean. Um, down at Nayland, you've got yeah, the you've NATO. Got the, you've got the, the NATO, key, NATO key, the NATO key, which was built during the Suez oh. um, emergency in the 1950s. So mm. you know, uh, the, the military fortifications of Pembrokeshire stretch not merely centuries; they stretch millennia. Yeah, I mean, the Romans got. I mean, the, there are traces of the Roman road that led directly to the embarkation for Ireland. Well, Pembrokeshire. up until 2012, you would have said, oh, the Romans had some influence in Pembrokeshire. Well, 2012, proof positive identification That's of right. the Roman marching camp and the Roman road at Wiston. And, you know, with this new. Which is a stopping off point. Well, I mean, we talk, I, I often joke about being remote West Wales. You know, westest Wales, westest, wettest Wales. <coughs> but for the largest part of 2,000 years, we've been the dead centre of the trading highway because you, the, the Irish Sea Route was the main yep, trading absolutely. route. We were the main stepping off point to and from <coughs> Ireland. Um, it, you know, we, it wasn't just the Irish ferries and Stena Line. Mm-mm. I mean, every major invasion of Ireland set off from here. Well, I mean, we when you think right about it, think of it down the, in Pembrokeshire. the age of the saints during the, the Dark Ages and so forth, that immensely rich cross-fertilisation mm. between Wales and Ireland, you know, the, 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 the age of the saints. It's always great reminding the Irish that St Patrick was Welsh, even though I'm English, you know. Yeah, but as you say, Pembrokeshire wasn't remote because we were on the western... We've got these sort of trading links with Ireland and actually the coasting trade with Bristol and the West Country ports and indeed trading into the uh, the, the continent and the and indeed the Mediterranean. It's uh, we've always been actually in the epicentre of of trade. And till nowadays, when you cross the Seven Bridge and you're driving back to, <laughs> and it's or you're on the train from London and you think, oh, it's such a or could that just be transport for Wales? formerly known as a reaver <laughs> and their continual promises to do something about the train well yes. i reckon our victorian ancestors had probably a better experience of train travel uh, I, than, than we did well than we I, do I we've sat say. on a train together quite recently we did and the following day i had to return from london um, and it was one of the, i think it was the very first week of uh, the new rail franchise. i returned by bus and it was 
much worse than even I was expecting it yeah. to be. Is that the one you told me was horrendous? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think actually looking at the journey times from London to Nayland to Brunel mm. uh, on the Great Western Line, it hasn't changed. It would be worth comparing, actually. Well, I did. And it's the same. <laughs> it's the same. Well, all these years later, it's, it's still the, the same. same time to get the train from Bristol to what would have been Nayland um, for the connection for you know, the Great Western Line, the end of the Great Western Line, exactly the same. Oh, my Lord. That is bad. Today. That is bad. We, we've, we've come on leaps and bounds in the last hundred years. Haven't yeah, we? Well, haven't we just? It makes you think whether we have or not. Mm. Well, absolutely. But, so we, we've got this fort. <clears throat> How did the military, did they just presumably just requisition it and said, well, that looks... Well, well, all, well, the, well, the the land, all the land was privately owned. And so, obviously, under the Defence of the Realm Act, um, the government, it was like effectively compulsory purchase. Mm. It went to an arbitration, but the people got good, they got good money. They had to clear all the hedges. There could be no sort of, it had to be absolutely wide open um, space around the fort. No mm. point in having a fort if it's like got like sort of forests and woodland or hedges around mm, it. Yeah. So it was all the people got, all the landowners were compensated mm -hmm. in lieu of all the, the land that was taken for the building of all the forts, I guess. At the end of the war, then, and end of World War Two, was it given back to the person that had bought it for thirteen hundred pounds? Well, I mean, it, was it, it resold it, the second it, time? It remained private property mm. even during the Second World War. But it obviously, did. Oh, it did. but even oh. so, yeah, I don't think it was, there's no record of it <coughs> having been bought back by anybody. Oh, so so it did, remained in private. The usage re was requisitioned. Yeah, the usage. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, and then of course, I suppose the most recent episode and chapter in the history of the fort or rather outside was then the point-to-point -point races one sees immensely popular point-to-point -point races the first of one i found was i've got a record of it in 1921 and i think it was held regularly other than during the wartime um i've got a program of the point-to-point -point at scoverson in 1986 i'm not sure so i would welcome any vis any viewers or listeners who've got sort of any further information on this i would like that because um the last point to point that i've got a record of mm -hmm. is 1986 the, the the whole program it was a hugely popular event mm. in the you know the jumping point to points were though for quite a few they were absolutely in all, all sorts of different places so if you if you can help simon mm. if you know um any actually anything about scoverston uh but particularly the point to point races yeah. um then do uh, get in touch with us directly at the station and we can put you directly in touch with Simon. But we'll have some music and we'll take a, uh, a short breather. A short breather.
beautiful light Cause everybody's changing and I don't feel right So little time Try to Simon Hancock and Scoverston. Dr. Simon Hancock. Dr. Simon Hancock, I apologise. And Scoverston Fort. Now, you reminded me uh, while Keen were playing that we have to rewind a little bit. Yes. To put something right about the, the building of Scoverston. Well, we were talking about myths, weren't we? We were talking about Bowles we were. and, and um, Drake and uh, the. What with the Bruce and Flemish chimneys, Flemish yeah. chimneys, <laughs> which but are not going to live down. Chagrin. You know, Do you know I lost you? my moment. I should have mentioned about the myth of the building of Scoverson Fort because if you read any history of it, it will say that it was built under the direction of none other than Lieutenant Charles Gordon, who later became famous, internationally famous, as Gordon of Khartoum, killed in the siege of. Khartoum in I think it was February 1885 of course he was immortalised as this great sort of you know martyr I grew up as a child reading the books Boy's Own Adventures about Gordon of Khartoum absolutely he was a typical Mm -hmm. sort of evangelical uh, um, um, Victorian hero you know and of course because he was left to die by Gladstone Gladstone used to be known as the Grand Old Man Mm. so then the Grand Old Man became Mog Murder of Gordon, murderer of Gordon. Ah. So they inverted it. But if you look at the history books, Scoverson Fort is built under the direction of General Gordon, oh. and that was that was first mentioned in the the first town guide to Nayland in 1913, written by a lady called Miss E. J. Walker, and it was regurgitated without question ever since. Okay. Except. I there's, there's a, a butt coming on the end. There of is this. a butt. <laughs> that time, the time that Gordon was supposed to have been building Scoverson Fort, the difficulty with that theory or alleged fact is he was actually in China. He hence the name, the Subrique, Chinese Gordon. He was commanding the armies of the Emperor of China during the Taiping Rebellion, 
which about 50 million people died. Horrendous. So actually, Gordon couldn't have done it. He was certainly in Pembroke Dock in 1854, when just before the Crimean War. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is he went to the Crimea, and I don't think he ever came back to Pembrokeshire. So it's another example of a so-called pseudo-fact being written down and then everybody taking that without bothering to check the facts. So sadly to say, I have to dispel one of the most well-known facts on the building of Scoverson Fort. It was nothing to do with General Gordon. We're learning so much about what we think we know. Um, For example... The Priscelli Bluestones, and mm. one of our, one of our one of our recent guests, uh, Brian Brian John, and he is returning in the next uh, in, in you know the sort of the coming shows because we may not be the supplier of the stones to Stonehenge either. This sort of great, and you go to Tempe now, and all the gift shops are selling Priscelli Bluestone yeah. as used in Stonehenge for you know X amount in jewellery. Mm. It's very popular. But we we might be learning from Brian that again another sacred sort of cherished thing that we know about where we where we're from, where we uh, live. I mean, it's such a massive, massive area of academic dispute. You've got people like the late Professor Jeffrey Wainwright, got Professor Tim Darville, and. Um, uh, Mike Parker Pearson, who've written, published uh, immense amounts on on the Blue Stones and on uh, Stonehenge. Mm. So it's it's such a huge, vast area of debate and and uh, scholarly study. I wouldn't like to venture. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Well, Brian uh, uniquely is a geologist, so um, absolutely yeah. he has he has all of the qualifications. Got a different needed. perspective. Yeah. But does it have when these stories, facts that have been wrongly reported perhaps however to put it when people become aware of this does, does it not change the way they think or is it just something that they carry on thinking not in the ghost hunting world it doesn't yeah <laughs> yeah i don't you know we can, it it doesn't do to be too purist about this you know mm. i mean at the end of the day um it's if people can capture the essence of something yeah what the the true value and the true worth of a story mm. then you know whether the facts are absolutely spot on date perfect who cares because people will argue that you know no you are right and i am wrong or i am right Mm. and you are wrong and people will argue that even if it is only a partial fact i still think you're wrong the earth is not flat (laughs) no i know it's held up on my turtles I want to. I want to keep going with Scoverston oh, because we, we, we don't want to run off the. Well, we might have to extend the show. Well, I go for it anyway. What what actually happened at the end? I mean, when when the army at the end of World War Two, did they just turn the doors? And well, just I guess they go? just they just sort of just moved out, and it's been left to sort of for nature to take it over. Has there been no further use of it? Um, not to my knowledge. I know there's been some sort of guided tours when the the building was probably in a far better position than it is now and less overgrown. Mm. Um, it is a very important aspect of our military heritage, and as I said, we have we have so much of it in Pembrokeshire, going back to the long before the days of recorded history, mm. right up to the present. You know, I think the the Cold War, the fifties, sixties, seventies, and indeed the eighties. Now you you mentioned earlier that that Scoverston is one of thirteen, and there are more defences going way back. I mean, there are <coughs> going back to the day. To the period well, you of think Henry, of East Blockhouse. I mean, the Tudors. I mean, Henry VIII broke with Rome, 
and of course the Catholic empires, uh, France and and uh, Spain, were united against and England. Well, England and stroke Wales, Scotland was independent, and uh, you've got an unprecedented amount of military fortifications, um, St. Moors, um, you know, the sort of around the south coast, um, West Country, uh, Pendennis, mm-hmm. and of course in our own part of the neck of the woods, you've got East Blockhouse, which is sadly tumbling into the tumbling into the haven mm-hmm. so we've always noticed that Pembrokeshire is a very strategically important place especially with Ireland because during the reign of Elizabeth I of course the Spanish tried to help the Irish rebels in 1580 and again in 1601 and uh, of course if they got into Ireland and took over Ireland the next thing they'd be across the Irish Sea and then be attacking the mainland of mm-hmm. of England and Wales uh, so, so Scoviston is one link in the chain that's protecting Milford Haven yep. and Pembrokeshire from invasion. How did it fit into that chain? Because it is it is the big one of the biggest, if not the biggest, of the forts. How is the? Are you? Do you know how the how the system worked for the defence? I mean, it must have been integrated in some fashion. The forts must have had to communicate with one another. Yeah, I think there was there was protecting. I mean, we have the military road, but because of the if you're equipped with that level of ordnance, then obviously mm-hmm. the field of fire would have probably been interlocking, so you would actually provide supporting fire um, as the crow flies or. As the shot would have gone across, it would have been what half a half a mile, probably yeah. less than half a mile. So I think with this huge ordinance, it would have interlocking fields of fire to provide mutual support. And Although the, interestingly, and there must have been an interlocking communication system as well to to, um, to sort of. Fo- hmm. I know it yet. Yeah. yeah, there would have been something. I mean, whether it had been flags or or telegraphy, I'm not absolutely sure. But interestingly, the original design for Scorison was there would have been a whole range of different forts on inland forts but of course because of the huge expense they were all cancelled except for Scorison so there would have been if the whole um, plan had gone into fruition there would have been a lot more inland forts but only Scorison was built as it turned out it was a bit of a white elephant because it was never thankfully it was never needed. Well, actually, you've just taken, you've just answered my next question because uh, um, I, I said earlier about going down to um, Portsmouth and Southampton, mm. where there are, there's actually a ring of these defensive inland forts that protect the the um, dockyards and, mm. and facilities at Portsmouth from inland attack, and yet we only have one. Um, uh, actually, I will say that the value of these Palmerston forts is certainly by no means unrecognised and in fact you've got organisations like the Palmerston Ford Society that really are sort of doing a lot in terms of publishing stuff about these forts mm-hmm. all over Britain and of course when you think about Palmerston Ford you think about well there was actually a slightly earlier in, uh, I- iteration you think of the Martello Towers I was going to say are they part of the same network because the Martello Tower down at uh, Pembroke Dock which is now a private residence mm. uh, we talk, you, you mentioned before about the um, the Germans bombing Pembroke and, um, 1941 that was and in fact the, the, the guy who owns it now has got a, a sort of pair of machine guns mounted <laughs> atop the Martello Tower as a tribute because that was the actual tower from which the, in fact, the only defensive shots were fired Against the the German our defences uh, in the first second world war we had were all the forts woefully didn't it? <laughs> we, they were they were woefully I mean they were really really woefully inadequate woefully inadequate as you say there's very very little defensive 
things. I think eventually there was something like 13 airfields in Pembrokeshire. Mm. So we were well... That was... That was so we were well the protected. might be more than 13, actually. Mm. If you start looking at more. the satellite landing grounds and relief airstrips as well, I think we can, I think we can more Possibly than double that. more than yeah. that. I mean, you take it. Well, we all know Withybush, but you've got mm. Rudbaxton and um, several others. Dale and Angle. There were lots and lots of them. Yeah. yeah. And of course, in the First World War, there was even a um, an airship base at Milton. There, there was, mm. yeah, there was quite some firsts as well mm. um, in in Pembrokeshire. The the uh, trials of the float equipped Spitfires, mm. and of course, the, the, my favourite is and, and people can go onto YouTube and look at it. Uh, the crazy Australian who landed a flying boat at Angle, RF <laughs> Angle, on the grass. Because it had a hole in it, and yeah. you realise, oh, yeah. I'll land it. And he does. Yeah. And somebody had the, the good fortune to, to uh, capture it, it on yeah. film. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, I was, I was astonished when I read the raid um, on, on the oil refinery, the, how little, given the amount of defensive works and structures that surround Milford Haven, how little ordinance and the there importance was. That it, yeah. it played even in World War Two with the flying boat, flying boat bases, the mine depots, the Royal Naval Supply depots, and a guy had you know one fort fired had two machine guns mounted on the roof, which was the only defence that well totally it, it was the only defence that worked on that day and took pot shots at the German raiders. It's interesting, some older people still remember that. I mean, I know it was August nineteen forty, so you know it's a. Uh, mm. Fair, fair, fair time ago, but there's still it's like personal recollections. Yeah, seeing the sort of the oil, and I remember the late Gordon Parry, who was a well-known public figure. Mm. Remembered his uh, mother, who was a wife of a Baptist minister, and she had all the white washing on the line, and of course went out. I was covered with these horrible, great big black oil or oil spots. Mm. You know how how sort of uh, certain experiences like that can stay in your memory. Mm. Do you think there's a future for any of the Palmerston forts um, to be like Hubberston, for example? Um, yeah, I'm sure there are. I mean, it's in I mean, Hubberston itself is in, is in good condition. Well, Hubberston, as I said, Tenby was used up until fairly recently mm-hmm. um, as a visitor attraction, and then you've got Chapel Bay, which is well worth a visit if anyone's going and you're near Angle. It's well worth going, um, and that's a very, very sort of well restored. Um, fort, although I think that's a bit later on actually. We say Palmerston Forts but of course technically, being purist, you've got them probably 1850, some of the later ones, yeah. some of the later ones you've got even 1890, they're lumped together under the sort of very yeah. crude description of yeah, Palmerston Forts. I think one of the Martellus has got VR above the, the doorway. Yeah, I think the one on, and there's a huge tower of course off Front Street in Pembroke Dock, I mm. think that was built in about 1850 and then I think Chapel Bay you've even got perhaps 1890, so mm. there's a huge range we we loosely for reference or ease of reference we might call them Palmerston Forts, but Scoverson is definitely um, early, well, eighteen sixty, eighteen sixty seven. So it took a it took a fair while to build because of its immense size. I mean, some of them are inside uh, other facilities, like Southwark Fort, of course, which is inside. Sure. Yeah, which makes it difficult but protects the fort. And I've noticed. I mean, if we're talking about repurposing, um, we're out near. Um, some brides um, and one of the uh, the old radar station at Tolbany uh, which was I remember as a derelict cow shed a few years ago uh, somebody has repurposed that into a home and it is remarkable what they've done to it really? they've taken this old red brick concrete derelict cow buyer 
which was an old RAF radar station and turned it into the most wonderful, you know, I keep waiting for it to appear on, um, you know, that George, that, that Channel 4 programme. Oh, Helms. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Like yeah. the guy that did down at Tenby with the, the old lifeboat Oh, the old lifeboat station. station, yeah, of course. So they can be repurposed. Well, perhaps the best example of that locally is the control tower at Cairo. I yeah. mean, in 2000, mm-hmm. yeah. that literally was on the verge of being demolished. Yes, it was. But its significance was recognised, and now it is one of the most wonderful community heritage attractions maintained and run by enthusiasts mm. and the community in Cairo. I know Cairo really, really well. I used to work there, well, many moons ago. And it's, it's such a wonderful community. It really is. And uh, the control tower, if you're interested in the military history of Pembrokeshire in the Second World War, it's well worth a visit. And finally, they're getting around to restoring the Avro Anson. I know there's plans now to move it uh, from underneath the tarpaulin where it's resided for far too long. And they're going to start doing renovation and uh, restoration work on the Avro Anson. Sounds good. We're coming towards the end of the... But you asked earlier um, for help. Well, uh, if anyone's got... One thing especially that is uh, is lacking is photographs. Anyone's got any images or photographs, then, you know, I've... Are you talking about modern urbex ones or uh, mainly heritage, the, photographs. The, the heritage photographs? You know, because obviously, um, I, I, the one images I have got is like there was an open day in 1912, so the Carnarvon Garrison Artillery came to Scoverson for their annual manoeuvres with their big guns, mm-hmm. and there's the most wonderful photograph of civilians in their dress, fine Edwardian dress, inside the fort with soldiers. And they're sitting on a dead horse. One of the poor horses must have died. And they're sitting on a dead horse. <laughs> oh and God. it's written there, Carnarvonshire RGA, Garrison Artillery, 5th of June, 1912. And, and that lunch. Ca- <laughs> 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 it yeah. captures the essence of sort of pre-World War One Britain, you know, with all the sort of everyone's in their Sunday best, boys, men and women. Do you women. know, I can't believe that in some faded photo album in attics in Pembroke there must be items. there will be won't there yeah. and not just not just photographs there will be old programs yeah. there will be old Maybe bits of old paper letters. from the butchers yeah. yeah if you have anything that relates to not just Scoverston but the other forts uh, but particularly Scoverston uh, do get in touch with us and we'll we'll try and uh, we'll we'll pass anything uh, to Simon and we'll try and get it all in to where it should belong mm. brilliant or at least is into the hands of those who need to photo- take a photocopy of it yeah yeah knowledge is for getting out there isn't it really and yeah. one of the we've just recently finished the centenary of the commemoration of the end of the first world war mm. from 2014 to 2018 it's been a massive uh, national mo- movement of commemoration absolutely and that four years has brought out and the most immense amount of material, mm-hmm. civilian and military experiences, because people have been motivated to look in the attic, look in their trunk, mm. and bring stuff out. So there's been more stuff brought out in the last four years than probably decades before. But the, if you, you know, we're not just World War One. You know, if you've got, oh, no, if you've point, got yeah. uh, information, documents, photographs. <coughs> you know, even even a receipt from you know when your great grandfather was the butcher supplying the meat to the fort. Yeah, uh, these are important pieces. Of they're paper. all they're all important aspects of social history, and they need to be um, at least recorded. Mm. And um, of course, maybe they'll they'll go on display it. Haverford Westbury Well, they would, I, they, I've got a talk. <laughs> I say that because, obviously... Uh, I have a PowerPoint talk on Scovson Fort, and it's uh-huh. always great to be able to refresh and actually mm-hmm. embed new material in Do it. Do you have any other talks lined up? 
or do you is there any other plans to rerun the Scoverston Fort tour? I gave it um was it last year? No, the year before now, gosh, yeah, we're in January. Um and I raised two hundred and fifty pounds for SAFA, mm-hmm. which was the military charity, which seemed a very appropriate way to give money to that. I got some talks coming up soon. We've got a big talk on the first of February on Pembrokeshire's Great War, personal stories and in, in the Peckton Centre. And then I'm giving my next personal talk is the first of March when I'm talking in the Picton Centre about the Pembroke Mint. Ooh, mint? Mint. The Pembroke Mint. We made our own coins out here. As in well. Pembroke, in early 12th century, there was a mint from about 40, 1120 to 1170. Incredibly rare and valuable coins. Norman, one of the Norman mints, was operational in far, oh, far flung going. West Wales. There we I, are. Yeah. yeah. So come along, that. come along and hear Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Uh, do you, I mean, the Picton Centre sounds like, do you, you're not, do you do talks for the Women's Institute? And No. Yes. Yes. Every kind of group, organisation. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to book your services? Give me a ring on my mobile number, because my mobile is always with me. Mm-hmm. And you're easily obtainable on Facebook, social media. Absolutely, yeah. I'm always happy to oblige. We're coming to the end, and... I I think we could go on for hours with this. We could. Um, I, I'm, I'm yeah. definitely. We, we're definitely going to have to um, mug him for another visit. Yeah. Definitely. Well, or I want to find out witchcraft more. in 17th century Pembrokeshire. Well, that's that's on the list. Oh. We we only moved because I don't know Scoverston. We were going to do witchcraft before Christmas, weren't we? we were. But unfortunately, we had to reschedule. And Scoverston, as I said, it was the fir- one of the first things that I noticed in the landscape before moving down here it was one of the first things in the landscape i went to look for when i did move down here and it's always been i mean it's just so distinctive any aerial photograph of of pembrokeshire and you see this great yeah. big vegetation hexagon in the landscape mm. and i know today on um the trailer for the shows on social media People know about it, it resonates with people, and not always for the right reasons, not just for its shape, but also it's, it has a darker, more tragic yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. stories associated, which that's for, that's for somebody else, that's not for this show. No. no. Um, Simon, thank you so much. Ple- uh, my pleasure. No. Uh, make sure you'll come back. <laughs> well, you better add. I haven't finished class yet. <laughs> well, we're we're going to start a petition. Yeah. Get Simon back. Get Simon oh, back. No, you've got to come back. I mean, I, I really, I've just. Well, sat we've got, here. We, 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 you see, what? we've got to do the witch one because. Oh yes. Yeah, I'm still digging through that reference that because I mentioned to you once about the witches of Rosemarket, um, which I think is um, Kerry Dig Davis's book. I think records it. I remember going down again when I first arrived, going down to Rosemarket and going into the the pub in Rosemarket saying, "Were there any witch- were there any witches?" Oh, and, and the, the barber was uh, was on form that day and just pointed at his mother. In the oh no, <laughs> they're oh. still here. They're still yeah, here. They're still and of course, Rosemarket, you've got this dovecot. You've oh. got the Iron Age. I only found out there was an Iron Age enclosure up on Hill Mountain a week ago. Good gosh, I knew that. Yeah, very ancient place, Rosemarket. Mm. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, we've is. got the, you know, we've, I knew about the Hanging Stone, mm. uh, the the Bronze Age. I mm. didn't know, I didn't know that there was an Iron Age enclosure up on top of Hill Mountain. I always thought it would be the perfect place to put one. With very elevated spot. Yeah. yeah. And apparently they did. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Well, you've got to come back because I need my teacher. Oh, okay. <laughs> so much to learn. There is. Anyway. Um, it's been fascinating. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks In for fact, the invitation. I think Bobby V summed it up. It's more than I can say. That makes a change. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Simon. You're welcome.
computer. It said Bob E V. Yeah. Yeah. It comes past really quickly as well, actually. Oh. Well, actually, oh, I don't know what it says, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, Just, Bobby we'll, V is coming up. Yeah, we'll have Rush Hour first. Yeah, we'll have Rush Hour yeah. first. Good night. Night. <laughs> Dizzy, I can see, can make out the forest for the trees. My heart is beating faster now. As the traffic's slowing down, suddenly...
Pure West Radio. See the action live from our studios in Haverford West at purewestradio.com and on our Facebook page. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Love you more than I can say. I love you twice as much tomorrow. Whoa, whoa, love you more than I can say. Whoa, oh, yeah, yeah. I miss you every single day. Why must my life be filled with sorrow? Whoa, whoa, love you more than I can say. Don't you know I need you so? Tell me, please, I gotta know. Do you mean to make me cry? Am I just another guy? Whoa, yeah, yeah. Love you more than I can say. I'll love you twice as much tomorrow Whoa, whoa, love you more than I can say Don't you know I need you so? Tell me, please, I gotta know. Do you mean to make me cry? Am I just another guy? Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. I love you more than I can say. I love you twice as much tomorrow. Whoa, whoa, love you more than I can say. This is Pure West Radio for Pembrokeshire from Pembrokeshire. Hoping you take that jump. Feel the fall Hope when the water rises You build a wall Hope when the crowd screams out You're screaming your name Hope if everybody runs You too 